Amen to that song. Uh, this <clears throat> Just a reminder that we sing to a God worthy of praise. Amen? <clears throat> you know, when we sing, I trust that you sing with a sense of joy in your heart. Um, that, you know, you've heard me say this before. This is all dress rehearsal. This is dress rehearsal for what we're going to do for all eternity. It's worshiping and praising Our God. You know, last week, Pastor David provided you a vision that the elders desired to fulfill by faith, really in planting four churches in the next eight years. And, you know, David laid out a pretty uh, extensive, he he laid out an extensive mandate um, to plant churches. The man who plants the money to plant, the mentoring of planters, and the method of planting. Now, all of these efforts are plans that we seek to do, really, by faith. And, and they, require great, they require great sacrifice in all of us. And, you know, these goals, they're ambitious, and they are truly ambitious. But what we seek to do in planting of churches is it's really the result of fulfilling God's great commission, but it's also of God's great promise that one day, you know, one day, behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out, With a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You know, that's a promise. And that is something to be excited about. And so when you sing, when we sing praises, I trust you sing from your heart that you really believe that that is what God has promised for us. Well, the fact that we have not planted these churches yet. We're not there at this time. Why? Because the fact is that many people around still have not heard the great news. The great news that, that there's only one God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. The fact that God created man in his image. The fact that because of sin, that sin that each man possesses, there is death and judgment. And there is no way to satisfy God's Wrath and judgment upon upon them, apart from the salvation that is provided through the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one can receive this gift unless they repent from their sins, right? And place their faith, their trust, their total trust upon the Lord Jesus Christ for the total pardon and the forgiveness of their sins. And it's only found through God's righteousness, right? And thus... That is the great news. That is the great gospel that we seek to proclaim, not only here in Upland, but throughout the world. You know, what the elders seek to accomplish is a great, it's a huge endeavor. And what I mean by an endeavor is that that means it's a conscientious, a concerted effort toward an end. It's really an earnest attempt. And you may be asking, why? Why do we want to do that? You know, because the goal of church planting, the goal of evangelism, the goal of missions, it will never happen again. 
after we pass away, after Christ comes, after we're taken up. Missions, church planting, evangelism won't happen again. This is that one unique opportunity. And thus we seek to minister by faith. You know, this morning we're going over one of our core values, developing disciples to reach the nations. And that is our desire. So when we talk about missions, and that's the topic this morning, we often think about going out to the ends of the earth. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. We know, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. You probably have heard that passage or read that passage. Or maybe in uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. Or perhaps you're familiar with Acts 1, 8. That you will be my witnesses in all Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Too often when we talk about missions, we often talk about going or going cross-culture, going overseas. And we also talk about the missionary. And this morning we will have an opportunity to hear from our brother Doug Cannon um, and hear what a, the life of a missionary. But this morning, I want to examine for the next few minutes on the process, on the process of getting from point A, the local church, to point B, church planting. And thus, this morning, we're going to look at three aspects of missions so that we might further understand and embrace planting of four churches in the next eight years. Open your Bibles, or if you've already had, you've opened to Second Corinthians chapter 8. And Pastor David had read there the entire chapter there. We're going to kind of look at verse 16 to 24. And I want to share on this first aspect of missions is really this issue of is really method. The first aspect of missions is method. The churches in Macedonia recognizes the need here. And you see that from verse 16 on, you see, but thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. You know, Paul acknowledges here that God placed the desire to minister in Titus's heart. You know, Titus was a former Gentile. And not only for him, but for Paul as well. And for the churches throughout Macedonia. This desire to minister sacrificially, you know, that's something supernatural. That does not come naturally for someone to desire to minister. And often we call that, the, we refer that to the call of God. But that's another topic for another time. Um, here we see in the context of 2 Corinthians 8 is that Paul is ex- exhorting the church in Corinth to give out, out of their abundance, uh, to the needs in Jerusalem. You know, there's a, there's a major famine in the Jerusalem area. And Paul is trying to encourage a collection. You know, he's been asking this for the past year. The church in Corinth is a bit slow here. Um, to be taken among, uh, to meet the needs of the brothers and sisters residing there in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is really the central place in the ancient world where um, people from all over the world are, are coming here. And it's a prime area to preach the gospel. So we see in verse 1, and as that was read earlier, that Paul is informing the church in Corinth that the grace of God has been given among the churches of Macedonia. There's a severe test here, it says. Their abundance of joy and their 
Extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this is this not as we ex- expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Let me propose to you to say that one of the primary roles of the elders and the deacons here is to oversee the needs of the church body and beyond. Uh, and the, the Apostle Paul here, he's just filled with praise that the leadership amongst the churches in Macedonia and Achaia were so quick to send out resources to support the needs that the, they identified, and, and namely the physical and the spiritual needs in Jerusalem. And Paul states that these these churches, they were not rich. They were poor. Um, but their example, you know, their example reflected Christ and his love for them. And Paul reminds the Corinthian churches that the God's model of true love is giving and it's giving. It's done voluntarily. Paul later says there um, in verse eight and nine that I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. When I say that the first aspect of missions is method, I'm stating that the local church first recognizes the need for missions. They recognize the need for missions and thus they send out personnel and resources in order to what? To meet the need. And the primary needs then, and today is first spiritual. You see, without missions, listen carefully, without missions, you know, there is no hope for those who are in need. And the messenger must be sent. You're familiar with Romans chapter 10. Paul says it very clearly in verse 13 and 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? If you want to know more of Paul's motives for missions and the support of Jerusalem, this afternoon just... Look at Galatians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, or Romans 15, 26 to 27, and you see a little bit more of Paul's motives there about missions. But what are the needs today? You know, we at Foothill Bible Church, we're identifying local needs here, and that's planting a biblically-minded church locally in the Inland Empire, especially in the Spanish-speaking community has been identified as one of the important needs. And many of you heard that this morning in the Sunday Fellowship Hour. We're identifying needs abroad and in our global community. And you, you've heard last week, uh, Dave mentioned about the 1040 window. That part of the world from North Africa all the way to East Asia, um, between the 10th and 40th degree latitude. This is the area where the gospel is most needed. Why? Because over 4 billion people, that's two-thirds of the world's population, resides there. 97%, you've, some of you may have heard this from me before, 97% of the least evangelized people, people groups, I should say, are located in this area. And a people group, 
is identified by their distinct language or their culture or their beliefs or their caste um, or their socioeconomic groupings. In India alone, the country that we served in, the con- India alone, there are more non-Christians there than the total non-Christian population of North America, South America, and Europe combined. That's daunting. The needs are so great there. Yet only 8% of the, of the world's evangelical cross-cultural missionaries are serving in this area. Five cents out of every $100. That's less than 1% of all missionary expenditures goes to church planting in this area. This part of the world is their home base of Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Sikh, Jainism, all of those. That is a very difficult area. 90% of the world's poor live in this area. And it's really a highly resistant area. This week, I should say last week, I received an urgent email from a dear friend of mine in India. He writes to me and he says, We received news today that 200 Christians in the eastern state of Orissa were missing while four pastors were burnt alive. One of these was able to escape while the others lost their lives. This comes after a wave of persecution. During the Christmas season, 50 places of worship were destroyed, as well as other Christian institutions. More than 10 people were killed at this time. The state government is hiding these facts as it seems to silently encourage these heinous crimes. Let me restate again. The first acts aspect of missions is method. The burden of responsibility lies upon the leadership of the local church. It lies upon us elders and deacons to recognize what are the needs around the community and the needs abroad. The second aspect of missions is the means. The local church sends out men and women who are proven servants. You see, Paul writes in verse 18 there, with him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered to by us. Paul continues to say in verse 22, And with them we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters. <coughs> And who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messenger of the churches, the glory of Christ. Notice that the local churches were sending. They were sending messengers from their midst to minister to the needs of others. Titus, Paul's partner and fellow worker, an unnamed Brother, possibly Luke, we don't know, uh, who is famous for preaching of the gospel, appointed by the churches. And then a third brother, who is unnamed, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters. We don't know his name. The Lord knows. You know, the term missionary, the term missionary is not found in the scriptures. It comes from the Latin word, mitod. In other words, I send. And it is, it's closely related to the New Testament Greek word apostello, to, to send. Thus, when you read about the apostles, 
It means sent out ones or sent ones. Um, and that is what a missionary is. A missionary is one who is sent out. But by whom? Whom? Who does the sending? It is the local church's role. And the local church is to be that unique agency of fulfilling Jesus' commands. George Peters, um, um, who wrote the book A Biblical Theology of Missions, explains, quote, A missionary is a messenger with a message from God, sent forth by divine authority for the definite purpose of evangelism, church planting, and church edification, unquote. In other words, a missionary is not one who is going, but is sent, sent out. He is one who is sent out with the endeavor to bear good news through preaching the word of God and making disciples through teaching the word of God. Let me, bold, let me be so bold to say that if someone wants to go on his own to serve the Lord somewhere, you know, he may, de- he may do as he pleases, um, but let's not call that missions. Or missionary work? If he is not sent, he is not a missionary. There's a trend today whereby an individual believes that they should go on to some missions work. But it's done independent of a church body sending them. You know, that is a trend that is foreign to the New Testament. It is foreign to Jesus' words. uh, Jesus says in John 8, 42... If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I am not of my own accord, but he sent me. The Apostle John notes this in 1 John chapter 4, um, in verse 9. He says, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And we have seen and testified that the father sent his son to be the savior of the world. That's in verse 14 there. Jesus says that as the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That's what he said to his disciples you know, the God of the Bible is ascending God. And the local church should reflect this as well. You know, we send our best from amongst us. That, you know why? Because that really reflects God himself as he sent his son. Jesus says that the harvest, what? You know this. The harvest is what? Plentiful, but the laborers are few, right? Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to what? To send out laborers into his harvest. You know, last week David shared in Acts 13, the first instance of the local church sending out um, the church of Antioch. They sent out two of their best men, right? 40% of their leadership being sent out. Later we read in Acts 15, Um, how the Jerusalem Church Council, upon hearing the conversion of the Gentiles, they sent a delegation back to the church in Antioch. And it says in verse 22 in chapter 15 of Acts that it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch 
with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers. Choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas. You know, sending forth our best is really demonstrating the sincerity of love and sacrifice of our total being. You know, missions is the means of communicating. We really, we really believe this message. When we send the best and brightest, we're not sending leftovers or has-beens in our body. We're sending the best because we believe this is the best message. This is the only message. There is no other name under heaven given among men. By what? By what? There's no salvation. There's no hope. And thus, we send our best. It is the local church giving up its talented and gifted men and women in order that more people, in order that more people may praise our God. It's not just the issue that we want to see numbers. People just raise their hands or... We are seeking to see God's glory expanded because we believe that there is one God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. There is only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, right? John Piper, many of you have heard his name. Pastor John Piper writes that if we as a church are disobedient, it is not Ultimately, the cause of God and the cause of world mission that will lose, we will lose. God's counsel will stand and he will accomplish all his purposes. His triumph is never in question. Only our participation in it or our incalculable loss. We can be drunk with private concerns and indifferent to the great enterprise of world evangelization. But God will simply pass over us and do his great work while we shrivel up in our little land of comfort. Wow. God's purposes will stand. And that's either we're on the bandwagon or we're not. Let me restate again. The first aspect of missions is method. The local church identifying the needs. The second aspect of missions is the means. The local church sends out Men and women who are proven servants. And the third aspect of missions is the motive. Why? The local church does it for the glory of his name and the expression of sincere love to those in need. We see that even in verse 19. I'm not going really in detail of the passage here, but just kind of gleaning here in 2 Corinthians 8. But I would encourage you to study this whole process here. Verse 19, it says, not only that, but we have been, he has, he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our good will. Verse 21 says, for we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. You know, the Apostle Paul notes two motives here. One is what? Un, as unto God. The motive for missions is to see God's glory and His name 
to be expanded. It's for the glory of the Lord himself. Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When we send out, when others represent Christ, others will praise God. And that gives glory to him when they, they see that he or she loves this God of the Bible, this, this one called Jesus. And God's name is glorified because of that. You know, I would encourage you, if you have time this afternoon, read Psalm 115. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Why do I want you to just take, you know, especially if you have, um, just to ponder that passage in Psalm 115. When you see people bow down to a false god, does it bother you? Does it bother you that not only do they bow down to a God that doesn't hear nor see nor could do anything for them, but that they don't know the God who, who created them, who sustains them, who grants repentance, who grants the forgiveness of sins, who grants eternal life, removes fears, removes the enslavement of sin. He puts on love, he puts on peace, he puts on joy in your heart. That is the God we come to worship here. So when you see someone bowing down to some statue, some image, some false God, does it break your heart? Certainly breaks God's heart. Seeing that they utterly deny the very God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. That's why we send in order that man may see our good work and glorify and give glory to God. The second motive is unto men. You know, we see that back there in verse 19 that it's to show our goodwill. Or verse 21, um, that we want to do that something that is honorable only to the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Why? You know, a true test of sincerity um, is, is one when someone sees a person sent out Especially, you know, coming from the States and you go to another country, especially in the 1041. You mean you, I, I remember this is the comment we heard so often in India. You mean you came out here? We're all trying to go there <laughs> to our, to the States. But, and this is from believers. This is from Christians saying this. You, you're willing to give, leave to come here? Why? Because we believe in the message of the gospel. People question Paul's sincerity. They question that. They, 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 they were questioning Paul's authority and his motives. And thus Paul and the supporting local churches were sending a team of qualified men at that time there in Second Corinthians in order to demonstrate that they were above reproach and they were sincere men. In missions, that is the constant question. Um, are, you, are you for real? Do you, do you really care? Do you really, you really love us? Are you really in this, are you in this for money? Do you really believe this message called the gospel? 
They may not ask it so point blank, and maybe they're, but often when they hear that and, and they come to a saving knowledge of Christ, they you really believe this? Yes, we do. It is the, the gospel is what? The power of God. For what? For salvation to everyone who believes. Let me ask, was God's mission to man, sending his best, his only begotten son, to live amongst us, to learn and lead, by example, among depraved and depressed humanity, to serve, to serve not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many, to die a cruel death and leave his eleven disciples, his mother and siblings, several other devoted followers, was that all of a waste of time and energy? Was it a waste in God's economy? Was it, or was it, was it to demonstrate to an unloving, ungrateful, unforgiving, and inconsiderate humanity that the greatest act of worship was to give his very best himself, completely, to live amongst us, to serve with compassion and care amongst us, to ultimately, what, die for us in order that God demonstrates his own love while we're yet sinners, what? So, so that his glory and grace is revealed and his power and his love is magnified. That was God's mission to man. You see, missions is not for everyone just to go or to be sent, but it is for everyone who loves God and his church to, to participate. That's why this, is not, this endeavor about planting a church is not for a few men or women. This is... This involves all of us. This is a sacrifice of praise that we give to God. And that's, you know, the Sunday School Fellowship, the Oikos, the Wana, um, all the different activities that we have, we participate. It's all for the purpose of what? We're seeking to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We're looking for faithful, available, teachable men from this body so that we can send out you know, one of the greatest challenges for us who live in, in the most prosperous country and in the most prosperous time in history is that we have a greater love for ourselves and our kingdom versus a greater love for his kingdom. You know, may God help us to have that a, a diminishing view of God and just all the distractions that come our way. Help us, Lord, help us. You know, we're excited... We're excited to send off men to serve and possibly die for our nation's freedom. Do we share the same passion to serve the supreme commander of chief, the king of kings, the lord of lords? You know, the, the, training, the training, though, to send out from amongst us, this training and this cost and the sacrifice is so much more complex you know, the weapons of our warfare is not, are not with guns and military har- hardware. It is much more challenging. To reach the 1040 window, we need, speci- we need special ops type of guys. To, I mean, that, that requires not just physical hardship, but spiritual maturity and discernment, godly humility, mental alertness, love for God's word, love for people, love for the church. We need the best of the best from amongst us. We don't need physically strong men, but strong minds and hearts, willing to die to their affections and their sins and temptations. 
Not just men of faith, but of faithfulness. Not just talented ones, but teachable ones. That is why sending a missionary is a big, it's a big sacrifice. It means we corporately, the church, is offering to God as a sacrifice of praise our dearest friends, our dearest teachers, our dearest elders, our dearest family member, our relationships we love dearly. Why? In order that the glory of Christ might shine brighter in this dark world. It costs all of us. It doesn't cost just a few. It costs all of us. If we are all participating. And the question you're saying, is it worth it? That is the wrong question to ask. It's not a question of, is it worth it? It's, is he worthy? Is he worthy of giving, of supporting, of sending? Is he worthy of that? You know, our country's pursuit to recruit qualified men is so strong that one branch of the military says, the few, the proud, the the Marines. You know, God's model, God's model is for the local church to send out the few, the humble, the missionary. We have a greater agenda, far greater than even the commander in chief of this nation. Because the purpose of it is to expand God's glory. Not only God's glory, but for, I just think of the men and women and children who face, they're without hope, facing eternal judgment. But to, for them to turn to the living God and worship Jesus Christ, who saved them from sin and death, that's a worthy endeavor. That is a, a, extremely worthy. You know, some of you may be hearing this message and think, well, this this. Three aspects of missions. Method, means, motive. No, that, that equates to madness. This is kind of foolishness. Um, and calling missions the greatest endeavor of the local church, you know, it does seem foolish. It does seem kind of madness. But we live for another kingdom, not our own. Amen? Many years ago in Scotland... There was a young man named John G. Patton who at 33 was sent out by the local church in Scotland after proving he was a faithful servant in the local body there and in the local area. John and his wife and his uh, young child were going to the South Pacific, not too far from where Promise Vaughn is currently serving. Um, He writes in his biography, Amongst many who sought to deter me was one dear old Christian gentleman whose crowning argument always was the cannibals. You'll be eaten by cannibals. At last, I replied, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that If I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours. 
in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. You know, John Patton, he had a heavenly perspective that, you know, it, he, it elevated his thoughts towards bringing the glory of God. John Patton and his local church, they saw all three aspects of missions. They saw that the method, they saw the method, they recognized there was a need, that the gospel needed to be proclaimed in this land called New Hebrides down in the South Pacific. They recognized that, the need for the gospel. And then they recognized that the means for those people to hear the gospel was to send from amongst them the local church by sending him and his family to be that messenger. And then they were reminded that their motive, what was their motive to do this? It was for the glory of God and the benefit of the fellow man. Again, excuse me there. Um, you know, missions is the greatest endeavor. It is the greatest endeavor of the local church. This year, you know, um, after Easter, we're planning to send out Dave and Carol to Japan. 